A skeptic once said, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. I think that person could have been speaking on behalf of the entire world, really. Because our modern world has added much to our lives. It's brought us medicine and transportation and sanitation and freedom and wealth known only to kings in previous generations. But it's probably also worth noting that our modern world, for all its benefits, has also subtracted. It has subtracted a sense of wonder. It has hidden beauty. The rapture of transcendence is all but gone. Still we cope with the loss by longing. Longing for the echo of something more. Something beyond our everyday experience that might add meaning to life. And I say, we long for something more, and you say, well, yes, you're a preacher, you're supposed to make stuff up like that. But really, you don't have to look very far uh, to see that the world around us is hungry for a hero and longing for something supernatural. In fact, last year, the top seven movies, all seven of them were action movies about a hero. But not only that, five of those seven involve that hero having some sort of supernatural power. In other words, people are paying good money to try and uh, enjoy the prospect that maybe, just maybe, there's something more here. If you think about it, while our worldview has subtracted transcendence and wonder, it's been unable to subtract evil and suffering. And then you should probably consider what kind of trade that really is. I mean, how good a trade is it to lose transcendence and yet still be stuck with suffering? Well, the events of Easter weekend address not just the worst of undeserved human suffering, but the reality of transcendence and wonder. And you'll see this immediately as we read the eyewitness account of the resurrection of Jesus. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and open it and read with me in the Gospel of John. Gospel of John chapter 20. I'm going to be looking in chapter 20. John is the third book in the New Testament. And near the end of that, you will find the account of the resurrection. It reads like this in John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early 
while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. Both of them were running together, and the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloths but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. The resurrection of Jesus, I want you to see, is not a fabricated story. But rather, it's one that assures us that there is more to this life than what we can see. The resurrection is a hinge on which all of our hopes and faith swing. If the hinge fails, we fall hopelessly to the ground. But if it's good, a whole new world opens up for us. And so, if you're going to have a resurrection, there's one thing you do need, of course. You need somebody to die first. In one of the prominent theories about the resurrection to explain it away so that as not to have to deal with it is to um, assume or to uh, hold out that Jesus did not in fact die but rather he more or less swooned and then came back and um, there is no resurrection 
So if you look back just a few verses to chapter 19, it demonstrates that yes, in fact, Jesus did die and that everyone knew where he was buried and there was no confusion about the wrong tomb or anything else, but rather we find ourselves at the entrance of the right tomb on Easter Sunday morning. John chapter 19, verse 34 uh, tells, this, what ha- tells us what happened after Jesus died. It says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you may also believe. For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they've pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in that place where he was crucified, there was a garden. and In the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. And so there really are a couple options of ways that you might explain away the resurrection. Like I mentioned, one is that Jesus wasn't really dead. But if you look very carefully at this, you don't even have to look carefully. You can just look accidentally and notice that there was a professional executioner right next to Jesus who took extra precautions to ensure that Jesus was dead. He was not, in the words of Billy Crystal from The Princess Bride, mostly dead. He was all the way dead. He was dead enough to fool the professional executioner and the people who buried him. But according to this thought, he not only fooled them, after having been beaten mercilessly and crucified, they laid him in a tomb, and somehow in that tomb, while wrapped in linen... Okay, with 75 pounds of spices on top of him, he managed to rally without being smothered by the faith faith's claws, unwrapped himself, piled all of the um, grave clothes in one place, took the time to fold up the face cloth and put it in another place, then, of course, rolled the stone away from the inside, then subdued the guards... And actually, it's probably easier to simply believe he died and rose again, isn't it? Another way that people dismiss the resurrection or try and get around it is to suggest that everybody went to the wrong tomb. That, well, they went to a tomb that was empty and they didn't go to the right tomb. And therefore, they thought Jesus was alive when he wasn't really. They thought the tomb was empty when the body was really in its in the proper tomb. 
But you'll note, again, the, the details in the text tell us that the tomb was close at hand. The cross was maybe back there by the door and the tomb was right here. They were close. People knew where it was. Mary went to the right place. We have the, uh, the fun little detail that John and Peter were racing and that John got there first. And then Peter came. But part of that detail is to tell us they were racing because they knew where they were going. And they ran to the right place. And really all somebody else had to do was to say, no, you've got the wrong place. Here is the right place. And the whole fabrication would have fallen apart. And there would be no Christian church. And there would be no change in history from B.C. to A.D. But they came to the right place. So really, that only leaves us with a couple more options by which we might get rid of this. One is simply, did they make the story up? Is this just something that somehow got more interesting over time that yes, in fact, the resurrection was made up? Well, there are a few things here that would uh, indicate to me that they're not making this up. And so let me, let me just point those out as you look at John chapter 20. The first thing that I would have you notice is that when the story of the resurrection of Jesus is told, a woman is the spokesperson. A woman is central to the story. And the reality is that's not how you'd make things up. If you were going to make it up, you wouldn't make that up in the first century. Celsus uh, Tim, Tim Keller tells this story uh, about a Greek philosopher. He says, Celsus, who lived in the 2nd century A.D., was highly antagonistic to Christianity and wrote a number of works listing arguments against Christianity. One of the arguments that he believed most telling went like this. Christianity can't be true because the written accounts of the resurrection are based on the testimony of of women. And we all know that women are hysterical. Okay, that's, I'm not saying that. That's what Celsus said in the first century. Please, please let me be clear. But for Celsus and for his readers, this was a major problem because in ancient societies, women were marginalized and the testimony of women was never given much credence. And so you know what that means then. That if Mark and Christians were making up these stories to get some movement off of the ground, they never would have written women into the story as the first and primary eyewitnesses to Jesus' empty tomb. The only possible reason for the presence of the women in these accounts is that they were present. And they actually reported what they saw. That the stone had been rolled away, that the tomb was empty, and that an angel declared that Jesus is risen. So I don't, and that's one reason I don't think that they made it up. The, the other is 
just as obvious, really, uh, and that is that there are eyewitnesses to the empty tomb. There are eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. And they're right here in John chapter 20. Mary comes to the tomb. It's empty. She runs back, gets some more. They come to the tomb. It's empty again. There are people who can verify that it's empty. Not just that, Jesus himself appeared to Mary. She is an eyewitness of his bodily resurrection. And not just that, but if you were to read a little farther in John chapter 20, you'll see the account of Doubting Thomas. And when you come to the account of Doubting Thomas, Jesus walks into a room full of people who all see the same thing at the same time. And people don't generally all hallucinate the same thing at the same time. But not just that, we're told in 1 Corinthians that there were more than 500 people who saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. More than 500. And at the time of the writing, some were still available for questioning. And the most remarkable thing about these eyewitnesses is not merely what they saw, though certainly a resurrection would be mind-blowing, but the remarkable thing is how it changed those eyewitnesses. The cowardly disciples who were hiding when um, Jesus found them. Look at chapter 20, verse 19. Those cowardly disciples died for the belief that Jesus rose from the dead. They changed the world because they could not deny what they'd seen. And once they'd seen it, they couldn't unsee it. And they knew that it had life-changing and world-changing implications. And so there's eyewitnesses to be sure. And in this text, there's another really interesting thing that nobody would make up. And that is that there is um, a pile of grave clothes in one place, but there is a folded face cloth in another place. And so, if this were a made-up story, that uh, somebody maybe came in and stole the body of Jesus, that that really happened and not a resurrection then I, I can't imagine that a thief would bother to unwrap the body that they were st stealing. And not just unwrap the body, but then to stop and neatly fold, fold the face cloths, put them in their own little place over there. I mean, I mean, I've watched enough detective shows, right, to know that's not how criminals operate. They like get it and get out. But that's the official story that circulated. It said, tell everyone that his disciples came and stole the body. Well, generally, people didn't steal bodies anyway. 
What they did was they would break into a sepulcher and steal valuable artifacts that maybe somebody was going to be buried with so that they would have something to take away, but there would be little point in stealing the body in the first place. And so you have this detail that, uh, of the, the time taken to fold the face cloths that would be hard to build into a fabricated story. And then, last but not least, here you have the uh, kind of the final uh, reason that this is not a made story, and that is that Jesus himself appears. Jesus shows up. He's not a phantom, but he's a physical body before someone who recognized him. Mary could touch him. Later in chapter 20, Thomas, he invited Thomas to touch him. He still bore the marks of the cross. In the next chapter, in chapter 21, he ate fish and bread. And though his body was not by any means normal, it certainly corresponded to the one that he had before he was crucified. So it's really hard to imagine. In fact, it's harder to imagine that this story was fabricated than it is to realize it actually happened. But if the resurrection happened, how does it change the way that I see the world? How does it change my viewpoint on the rest of the world? What is unique about Easter Sunday morning that is an invitation to all of us to believe? The resurrection of Jesus represents the greatest departure from business as usual in the history of the world. And so it demands to be believed or denied. When the supernatural crashes into our world like that, we're going to have to deal with it and make a decision about it. And you can say, and it's certainly tempting to say, that couldn't have happened. But no one said that it could happen. They simply claimed that it did. And I think that this then should strike us on at least three different levels. The first one, because I have the basic level, is that the resurrection of Jesus makes us understand that the world is not flat. That there must be something more to this world than what we can see and observe. That there is a God in heaven who acts in this world. He acted in the resurrection of Jesus and He acts today. That there is an explanation for the beauty that we love and the transcendence that we long for. There is outside of our world a God who raised His Son from the dead. And so it should cause us to, to ask questions about the way that we view the world. I think the second level at which this should strike us is more personal. The resurrection of Jesus calls you to personally believe. To believe is to count on the fact that God does what He said He would do through the resurrection, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. God acted in the cross of Jesus to reconcile you to Himself. To create peace, conditions of peace between you and God forever. 
And so, for the first time, human beings, you and me, can be reconciled to God apart from anything that we might do. It was this thing, in fact, the resurrection, that caused John, the author of uh, this gospel, to believe. Look at verse 8. It says, Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, he did not, they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. In other words, you and I, we have the Scriptures that we could read and find in there the, the, the prophecies that Jesus would rise from the dead, Jesus' own words that he's going to rise from the dead, and we would be able to come to grips with it in some other way. John had to look and believe. It invited him To believe, just like it invites us to believe. In fact, at the very end of the chapter, it tells us that we have the invitation to believe. Verse 31, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And so there is an invitation for you and for me to believe in all that God does for us through the death and resurrection of Christ because Jesus is alive. But I must say that even though the resurrection assures us that there's more to this life than we can see and it invites us to believe that God is doing something for us in Christ, it also confronts us with the fact that if you're going to believe in Jesus, you have to believe in Jesus for who He really is, not for who you want Him to be. It must make us question that spirituality that we would love to be as customizable as a Spotify playlist or a Chipotle burrito causes us a question that would ever bring us spiritual peace and health. Now the resurrection confirms that Jesus is who He claimed He was. The resurrection confirms for us that we have to deal with Jesus on His terms, not on modern terms, not on our terms. That He is a Savior and a Messiah and a King. And then the third level at which the resurrection needs to impact us, I think, is simply to encourage us that there is a future and a hope. The Bible is very clear that the resurrection of Jesus is the first part of the resurrection of all things. That history is pointing to a time when the risen Jesus will reign as an unrivaled King. That all the brokenness of this world will be healed. All the wrongs that we prayed about early in the service would be made right. And that every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. 
that everything will be made new. And we have the assurance of that hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. We have the clear hope of the final resurrection because of the first resurrection. And so, if the resurrection is true, then what does it do for us? If it's true, that's really the first thing that has to be settled. If it's true. In other words, was he really dead? Did they go to the wrong tomb? Was the body stolen? No. Was there verifiable evidence of the resurrection, reason to believe that Jesus was actually alive from the dead? Yes. The world is a different place because no one has been able to successfully explain away the resurrection of Jesus. The church was born and history changed because of the proclamation of the resurrection. It continues to this very day because the resurrection of Jesus is undeniable. So, since the resurrection is true, what does that do for us? gives us a vision of the world where we recognize that all of these additions of modern life are great and we don't have to accept the subtraction of the miraculous. We don't have to extract the supernatural from our world because the resurrection calls us to believe. These things are written that you might personally believe that Jesus is the one who he said he was. I just want to say you can do that this morning. And if you say, I want this morning to be the morning that I believe in Jesus, he will wait with open arms like the father to the prodigal son. He'll receive you and accept you, forgive you and give you peace. And so I simply say, want to say, don't wait another day. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us hope that this world is not all there is. That we have hope for a better day when Jesus, our risen King and Savior, will reign and everything will be made right with the world. And all things will become new. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we affirm like we've done already in song. We affirm our agreement with the scriptures that Jesus rose again. And because he did, offers us hope and peace and reconciliation with you. And so, God, I just want to ask that you would grant us grace to believe it. Make us more sure of it as we walk out this morning than we were when we walked in. And would you help us uh, to believe that you can reconcile us to yourself because Jesus died on the cross on Good Friday and he rose again in Resurrection Sunday morning. And for that, we give you eternal thanks. Amen.